The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. You're talking about Don or not. Now's the time of Greg the Hammer Valentine should do escape. But knowing Greg, he wants to dish out some more punishment. Of course, you see that big flying elbow thrown by Greg the Hammer Valentine. And there you're going to go. There's one of my favorite holes. Didn't make it. Santana with the counter before the hole could be applied. Now a golden opportunity for Tito as he starts heading for that door. Perhaps now he doesn't have a clue where he is. He'll never make it. He'll never make it, Monsoon. The man's on Queer Street. The guy doesn't know even what day it is at this point. He don't know if he's at Baltimore Civic Center or the Hapachi Stadium in Tokyo, Japan. Santana very close to the door, yet advised to climb up over the top of the 15-foot-high steel cage. He's got, well, he's just about halfway out of there. I got a leg up there. Valentine going up as well. Yeah. Look at this. Santana very, very close to becoming the new Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. Wow, big right hand sends Valentine down between the cage and the ring ropes. Now Valentine re realizing he's right near the door. Look at this, Santana just about to drop to the arena floor. And Valentine, oh, the door slams shut right in his kisser. Santana is a new champion. Is that allowed in that, though? Absolutely. Right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the latest feature installment of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week i'm joined here by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and john to join us in just a couple of minutes as he is joined today by a returning guest a guy we've gotten to know over the years a wwe hall of famer a former intercontinental champion a former tag team champion 
and now author. It's actually two-time author as we welcome in the author of Don't Call Me Chico, Tito Santana, returning to the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. But this time to talk about Don't Call Me Chico, a 400-page book spanning the career of Tito Santana that stems all the way back to his days playing football at West Texas State University through all of the stops he made along his illustrious career. Of course, through the World Wrestling Federation and beyond. But we think about a guy like Tito Santana and we think about a lovable baby face who always stood up to adversity and always fought as hard as he could and battled for so many years in the WWF during the golden era, in the years where we thought these guys were absolute superheroes. And Tito Santana right smack in the middle of the Federation era, battling the likes of Randy Savage, battling the likes of his former tag team partner, Rick Martell, and beyond the transition into El Matador. So many things that Tito got to do in the years that we all watched him on television week in and week out, and just a constant face in the WWF landscape for so many years. But this book encompasses the whole entire story, gives you a little bit more in the uh, into the world of Tito, looking back at things he did prior to the WWF, but also really uh, taking a huge emphasis on those golden years all the way through his 2004 WWE Hall of Fame induction, where, I mean, can you find anybody who's more fitting of a Hall of Fame induction than a guy like Tito Santana. But the book speaks for itself. The book is available now if you head on over to wohw.com. Again, wohw.com, releasing so many great wrestling books over the last few years. And we've talked about a bunch of them. We've talked about Danny Davis's book or Bugsy McGraw's book or even Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who had a book come out through WOHW Publishers. Uh, But this time it is Tito Santana's turn. Don't call me Chico. Just say it in your best Jesse the Body Ventura voice while you uh, sit down to read this, like I said, 400-page book that spans the career of a man who just gets so much credit for paving the way for future Latino superstars, but also just the uh, the, the aforementioned baby face of an era that really just uh, we, we can't go without watching the Tito match if you watch matches from that WWF golden era. So that's enough out of me. Let's wrap it up here nice. Want to thank our sponsors today, Podcorn. Stay tuned to find out more about what Podcorn has to offer in just a couple of minutes. And strap up and let's uh, get a little strike force up here. Let's hit you with that flying forearm. And let's hear a little bit from El Matador himself, Tito Santana.
All right. Joining us on the line right now is a former two-time WWF World Tag Team Champion as well as a former two-time WWF Intercontinental Champion. He is, of course, a WWE Hall of Famer. Arriba. He is Mr. Tito Santana. Welcome back to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so much. It's uh, great to be back with you guys. Now, it's awesome. We we see you all the time. We work with you all the time. But it's so cool when you get a new project or something kind of coming down the pipeline. Please tell us about your new book that's going to be coming out very, very soon. And, of course, the book is Don't Call Me Chico. Well, believe it or not, John, I got uh, a 1,000 books delivered to my house today. Oh, my God. I am trying to fill all the pre-orders, uh, which is going to take me probably until tomorrow. Uh, and I, I need to, I've been working, uh, trying to, you know, satisfy the, the fans because they're, they're important to me. Uh, I promised them a phone call and I'm going to try to get the phone call to everybody who pre-orders, uh, the book and they can go to, uh, titosantana.com and, uh, pre-order the book. And, uh, they, if they may not get the phone call, uh, before Christmas, but uh, if they pre-order before Christmas, uh, I will be calling them uh, either way. That is awesome. That means uh, a lot of people are interested in your book. You surprised uh, how many people? Surprised at the turnout so far? Well, yeah, it, it's uh, it's been good. You know, it's uh, it's it's been good, and, and uh, I, I like the way it looks. I don't know if you went on my Facebook uh, or if you're even even on my Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I posted some pictures of, of me uh, receiving the books. A uh, big 18-wheeler <laughs> dropped them off, and uh, I had a son that helped me out, and I've been working ever since. That is awesome. I mean, obviously, a huge uh, influx of pre-orders. I mean, it's very popular. It means a lot of people still very interested in what you got to say. Are you surprised? Obviously, you know, Hall of Famer, first match of WrestleMania, I mean, kind of intercontinental champion, tag team champion and so on and so forth. But are you surprised that the fans still are just dying to hear like what you have to say? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I, I somebody texted me and asked me the same question. And I said, uh, you know, I, I retired in 1993 from the WWE. You know, I, I had been in the WWE longer than anybody else had. Uh, when I retired, uh, including Hulk Hogan, Mm-hmm. And and uh, of course, me and Hulk Hogan were the only ones who were on the first nine WrestleManias. Uh, but uh, I would have never thought that I'd still be, uh, you know, on, on demand from the fans. Uh, it's been God, how long has it been? Ninety-three. So we're going on close to probably close to twenty-seven, twenty-eight years. Yeah, crazy. Crazy to think you've been gone for that long, but they're you know, still very, very interested in you. So what was it like kind of going through and, and writing this book? Obviously, Kenny Casanova, great writer, com, and his publishing company has so many good books. What was it like with Kenny? Well, it, it was, you know, Kenny's a great guy, and, and he's a very hard worker. And, and uh, you know, uh, he has forgotten more than I than I know about myself. Hmm. And that's why I enjoy uh, whenever I make appearances, uh, as you well know, yep. uh, I, I like to, to talk to my wrestling fans because, uh, you know, they're always talking to me about uh, important uh, events in my life that, that they experience. And, you know, they recall my memory, you know, because, uh, you know, there's so much that, that I did and I, I forgot most of it. 
But, you know, when I start talking to, to fans and they bring it up, you know, it comes right back to my mind. Is it one of those things where it's easy once they say it? Is it easy to recall stuff? Or you're still like, man, I, I don't remember that. Or is it kind of one of those things where it's like they say, you're like, boom, you flash right back into the moment? No, most of the times, you know, you do fly right back into the moment, you know, because uh, it's, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, how they say how life is, is just like a, like a flash, you know. But, uh, you know, uh, if they put a picture in your mind, it's easy to recall, you know, the picture, you know, and, and the time and, and, and the place and, you know, just I, I enjoy people reminding me because, you know, if people don't remind me, I, I I will I will forget a lot of this stuff. Now, why now for the book? I mean, I know you've had a book before previously, but nothing this in depth and this kind of uh, well written. But why now? You think for the book? Well, uh, the 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 other book, uh, as you well know, uh, the company that that was supposed to be in charge of publishing the book uh, went bankrupt, so it never really it never really. Uh, a lot of the fans never even knew that I had a book, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, they promised me, they said they had 3,000 copies, and I said, well, let me have the copies. I'll buy every one of them, every one of them from you. And, you know, they, they never came up with the copies, you know. It, it's a company that went bankrupt, and uh, I had been left with a bad taste in my mouth, you know, uh, writing the first book. And, and then when Kenny came up, uh, and, and he says, uh, we, we'll, we'll make sure that it's done the right way. And uh, he convinced me and, you know, we started to work. It's been in the works probably for about a year and a half. So what do you think as far as kind of reliving the golden age of wrestling and, and kind of reliving that again? Does that just kind of further cement that that really was the golden age of wrestling as you kind of put that pen to paper? Well, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I was in the first nine WrestleManias. I saw the explosion of our business, the talent, you know, from the beginning match to the last match was, was every one of those guys could be in main events. Not nowadays, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, and every time you talk to a fan, you know, they tell you, that there was nothing like the the, the golden age, you know. Uh, you know, that's, I guess that's why we're considered the legends. You know, we were the pioneers. You know, we we were wrestlers. You know, now the guys that are there, uh, they're entertainers. You know, it's a different sport. You know, uh, I'm not here to knock, you know, the modern wrestler, but you know, it's a different it's a different business. You know, they, they it's a TV show and. You know, they practice their interviews. They practice the match. Uh, we didn't practice anything. You know, we didn't practice the interviews, the, the match. We just went in there. The only thing we knew was the, was the ending of the match. Uh, everything else, you know, we, we just uh, went in there and uh, listened to the fans. And, and I learned psychology from, the, you know, from, from pros. And I learned, you know, the, the fan will dictate which direction the match goes. And, and sure enough, once you... Once you understand that, you know, that's what happens. You know, the fans uh, are the ones that are controlling the up and down of a match. You think that's really missing from today, especially in today's wrestling, is that listening to the audience, that not just rehearsing everything backstage and whatever happens in the ring happens. Is that really just missing? Is that what is kind of hurting the business and killing it right now? Well, I, I don't know that, that it's hurting it or it's killing it. You know, the problem is, 
for the first five years, I, I probably wrestled with a guy that was better than me in the ring every night. So, you know, I was, I was learning. They were teaching me. They were teaching me psychology. And uh, if you wanted to learn, you, you pay attention to the pros and, and you, uh, you watch other guys wrestle. And, and uh, the, the young guys today, you know, uh, they don't have somebody that can wrestle day in and day out, you know, learning. You know, uh, most of them don't have much experience when they, when they start wrestling in the main events nowadays. And they just go out there and it's a different match. You know, they don't expect you to grab a hole and, and to help let the fans help you get out of the hole, you know, with the, the rea- with the reaction, you know, during the match, uh, you know, it's it just, you, you can't compare it. And, and, and I don't think that it, it'll ever go back. It is kind of sad. If you really watch some of those old things, it's like, man, it's just so crazy that you guys were just so good and also larger than life today. I feel like there's not a lot of guys that are quote unquote larger than life, but every guy, in the WWF, especially at that point, it's like, wow, this guy's larger than life. Do you think that's also missing, these big characters that people are just drawn to? Well, you know, back then, you know, there was so many, everybody was different. You know, you had Hulk Hogan, you had the the, the, the Spanish guy, the Mexican guy, the black guy, the Japanese guy. You, you had uh, George the Animal Steel. You, you had, you know, everybody had a, a different gimmick, that, and the fans loved that. And now, pretty much, you know, you watch everybody go into the ring, they probably, you know, look very similar. You know, they, they all look the same. They, they all, you know, have great bodies, but they look the same. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't watch it, so, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you who, who is in the WWE right now. I, I know that Orton is there, and, and uh, uh, I know Jim Neihart's, sisters there and, and Tully Blanchard's daughter, uh, uh, Nightheart's daughter's there and Tully Blanchard's daughter's there. And, but I don't watch it. You know, I, I just run into him from time to time uh, when we do appearances and, uh, you know, like Tully Blanchard's daughter, well, she's learning from her dad, you know, uh, you know, everybody who had a father that was in the ring for some reason, you know, they were just able to adapt and, and, and to pick up the business really, really quick. You know, you know, just look at the Samoans. Uh, they, they, those guys would step into the ring day one and they were ready to go. Yeah, definitely. And as far as you and being that kind of big Latino star back in the day in WF, I mean, really, I mean, you had Pedro Morales before you, but then you kind of took over that mantle. Is that a big responsibility being that big Latino star and them really trying to get that audience? No, it, it, uh, it, it, I didn't, I didn't see it as, as a responsibility. I, I saw it as an opportunity for me to, to represent uh, all the Hispanics throughout the world. Uh, and, and I get, you'd be surprised, amazed uh, where, where I get, uh, you know, uh, friends in Facebook from all over the world, uh, you know, how proud they are of me. And, and you know, I, I just, uh, I, I wanted to be a positive positive role model, not only for uh, my, my own kids, but uh, to every Hispanic out there in the world. And uh, I mean, Mario Lopez uh, called me uh, on my phone uh, one night. I was in bed already. And hmm. he told me that I was a big influence in his life, you know, and he said, uh, if Tito could make it, he said, I'm going to make it uh, when he was a pretty young guy. And, you know, that, that was, uh, that was, it, it's happened to me several times. And, and that means a lot to me. 
you know, they talk about what a positive role model I, I, I was and, and have been. And, you know, uh, I was never going to get caught uh, doing drugs. I was never going to get caught uh, doing anything wrong. I, I, I wanted to I wanted to be a positive role model. And it's great in, in the whole thing speech that Shawn Michaels, you know, was alluding to that. You being there for so long, and, and you know, the click was kind of like, wow. We and, and Scott Hall said it too in the past that he wanted to be like you, and like you know, good role model. Obviously, maybe those two weren't great role models, but they thought the thought of you being a great role model, the thought of you being the WWF for an extended period of time, that's kind of what they all wanted to ascribe uh, to be. Well, I, I think that my background coming from migrant workers and, and, and working so hard and watching my parents work hard, uh, you know. I, I, I had a value for, for the dollar. Uh, a lot of the other guys who, you know, didn't have to suffer growing up, uh, uh, when they got money, they, they just uh, thought it was never going to end. And, you know, they were having a blast on the road. And, you know, it's just so sad to see so many of my friends now that uh, that didn't plan for the future and are struggling. And, and you, you know some of the guys that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yep. You know, it, it, it's really sad to, to see, you know, my friends who who, uh, who didn't plan. You know, uh, we all thought it was going to last forever, and nothing lasts forever. And you know what's interesting about, kind of going back to the book for a second, it's interesting with Kenny and his books. He always does a good job of getting quotes from other wrestlers, and whether it's the Kamala book or the Beefcake book, he always kind of puts a good thing. So I thought it was interesting. You got Paul Orndorff in your book. You got Slaughter, of course, Conan, who looked up to you a lot, and then Demolition Axe, just a few guys. That's pretty cool, right, to get some of your friends on the book and uh, talking about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, you know, we, we all – wrestling was like – or it still is like a fraternity, you know, and, and uh, we all uh, respected each other, and, and uh, you know, we all – have a lot of respect for each other, you know, even though we we saw some of our, our buddies, you know, uh, I remember talking to a, a dear friend of mine and I, and I would say, watch what you're doing with, you know, with the drugs. And, and he would say, uh, don't worry, Teat. He used to call me Teat. And he says, I got it under control. And, you know, I, I, I just felt so bad, you know, because I knew he didn't have it under control, but you know, if they didn't want to help themselves, you know, there's nothing that that, that I could have done. Right. Uh, and, and Jesse the Body, you know, Jesse the Body was you know, was where the title came from. He's the one that uh, started calling me Chico, and you know, Jesse has been asked, you know, by many many people, and who would be the guy that he would want to wrestle if he had a, a choice, and he always mentions me. Him and I would have fantastic matches, and and, and Jesse was a great worker, and I would let him do my. His stuff, and you know, he he would uh, uh, incorporate me into the match, and I would do my stuff, and we would have fantastic matches, and we'd have the fans uh, ready to kill him, you know, and, and we we hardly would even talk. I mean, a touch. Yes, definitely awesome, and he was great, and I was always thinking of Bobby the Brain Heenan too, like the stuff that he would say, you know, uh, the flying burrito and Chico, and like kind of ripping you and stuff, and. I always thought that was funny too, the way they would kind of play off of you. Yeah, I mean, they they uh, they were great talkers, and, and they knew, you know, they knew how to help me get over. You know, the, the more they insulted me, I mean, I, I'd go to arenas and people would call me Chico, and I would say, at first I, I would be upset, and, and then I was watching the show and listening to Jesse doing the commentating, and when he when I heard him call me Chico, and, and during the commentating, I, I said. 
So that's where Chico comes from when I get to the arena. <laughs> yep. Pretty awesome. And I want to kind of stay old school for a second because we were just in Philly with you not that long ago, and you were with your old tag team champion partner, Ivan Putsky. What was that like to kind of rekindle with him? Have you seen him in, in a while? Well, uh, Ivan lives in, in Austin, Texas, so he doesn't make it this way that, that often. So I've, I've probably seen Ivan maybe three or four times in the last 15 years. And, and you know, uh, I've seen the, the changes that, that he's gone through. Uh, he's not the same man that that, uh, that I knew when we were champions. Uh, but Ivan was, you know, my first break, you know, uh, he was over like a million dollars in New York, and and you know uh, Vince Senior teamed me up. Uh, from what I understand, you know, and I didn't know this, uh, Vince Senior uh, or Ivan Putsky went to Vince Senior and you know told him that he wanted to be teamed up with me, and I had no idea. But uh, the minute that we won the World Tech Team Champions, you know, I, I became known all over the world. You know, I I was a name in Japan because I was a World Tech Team Champion in, in uh, New York. So cool and such a great team, and it was awesome to get you guys back together in Philly. I know a lot of people were excited because that doesn't happen often. You know, you guys getting back together and him kind of coming up to the East Coast. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. You know, often I told he says you should come to, to Texas. And I said, well, you know, see if you can get something that somebody to bring me bring me up there, and we will do the same thing in, in down there in South Texas. And you know, he says I'll work on it. <laughs> that would be great. You know, and the thing is with you, you always had not only, obviously, a great singles run as far as IC title, but always had great tag partners. And you were also a tag team champion with Strikeforce with Rick Martell, which is just another awesome team. You guys had tremendous chemistry. Yes, you know, uh, Rick uh, Rick was a, a great worker. You know, he, he was a great, great guy to be teamed up with. Uh, uh, you didn't have to worry about, you know, uh, who's going to carry the load, you know. Uh, we 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 all you know carried the load equally you know uh, I I couldn't say that uh, they I carried him or or he couldn't say that he carried me because we just uh, really worked together uh, if, if you know wrestlers wrestled when we were hurt if we were hurt if one of us was hurt we we knew how to take care of each other uh, it's it just uh, I don't understand why Rick is not in the Hall of Fame I don't understand why he doesn't come around. Uh, there's got to be a reason, but, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen him, and, uh, boy, I would love to do a, an appearance with Rick at Strikeforce. Oh, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get a hold of him. The last time I talked to him, he was kind of, like, wishy-washy. He, I don't know if he wasn't feeling well. He just kind of was, like, done with signings, and then with wrestling, I was surprised because there's so many people out there that are so interested not only in him and you, but just him in general because he hasn't been out in a while. Right. No, he 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 was a big name, you know, in professional wrestling. Uh, I don't understand why he's not around. Yeah, crazy, and and obviously well, you guys break he, up. He, you know, you know, more power to him if, if if the only reason is because you know he just doesn't have to do it. Yeah, and, that could be and, it too. You know, yep. and and he just doesn't have to do it. You know, no, nobody goes out. You know, I enjoy the fans, but. Uh, you know, uh, the money that I make, a uh, little extra money that I make whenever I go out, it, it really comes in handy. Uh, he may be somebody who just doesn't need it. You know, for me, uh-huh. it, 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 you know, it, it, it has a purpose in, in, in my family, in my life. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all shapes and sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. I know firsthand how easy, fast, and just remarkably smooth the process is with Podcorn. Other sites, you got to chase people. You need to find the money. They don't know who to speak to. You're dealing with uh, third parties that are just completely clueless. Podcorn is so fast, easy, smooth. I love it. You get paid directly. You get paid quickly. And there is no middleman. You are dealing directly with that other brand, talking one-on-one. So it's just so great. The transparency, the creative freedom. You have full control of how to monetize. So check out podcorn.com slash podcasters for more information. Yes, that is podcorn.com. Yeah, it's very, very, very true. And I was just thinking, obviously, you guys were an awesome team, but when you break up, that is so memorable and such a great feud. And again, sometimes the guys break up and they have a match that kind of stinks. You guys had just an unbelievable chemistry. And I love that years later, anytime you touched, that rivalry was reborn automatically right over again. Yes, it was. What was it like kind of wrestling him? And you know what I mean? Like not teaming with him, but feuding with him. Was he just so smooth in the ring? He was just easy to work with? Yeah, I mean, he, he he's he's one of the great, what we called workers, you know. He had the psychology of the match, you know. He he, he knew uh, the, the heel had a purpose in the match and the baby face had a purpose. He was a great baby face, therefore he knew uh, what he wanted from a, from a baby face. And, you know, we had very similar... Uh, uh, types of, of the way we, we, we wrestled, you know, we, we wrestled very similar. Uh, you know, we just clicked, you know. Uh, we, we went in there to, to get the match over, and, and, and we did whatever it took to get the match over. Now, we mentioned you were in the first nine WrestleManias. It's just crazy. Just you and Hulk, uh, Hulk Hogan were the only ones to do that. Just awesome to kind of think back. But when the time rolled around and you were doing the El Matador gimmick, what was supposed to happen? Were they supposed to go down into Mexico and you were going to win the world title? What was going to be, obviously they end up going north and Brett becomes a champ, but what was the whole story behind that? Because you do have a huge win over the Undertaker, who was pretty much unbeatable. Not unbeatable, but he was, had a very, very favorable record at that point. Well, I don't, I don't think he had lost a match. Uh, no, at I don't that think point. so either. And, and, and... And I don't think he lost many matches. You know, they didn't. They didn't talk much about that match when I beat him in, in Barcelona. We were the main event in Barcelona. Yeah. And yep. uh, Pat Patterson had told me that we were going to start going into South America, Central America, Spain, and you know, uh, all the Spanish, you know, North, you know, Mexico, and uh, so Bruce Pritchard told me that you know they were going to put the belt on me and and. Uh, just recently, which which I didn't know because I, I wasn't in with the office. Uh, I wasn't one of the guys that, you know, was really close to Vince. I just worked. You know, my my work kept me around for as long as it did. I was a hard worker. I, I, I didn't cause any problems. They didn't ever have to worry about me getting busted. Uh, you know, I, I was just a company guy and, 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 uh, and a hard worker. But, you know, 
I think the the, the value of uh, of the peso in, in South America and Central America and Mexico, I, I think that was one of the reasons they eventually uh, dropped. You know, going into Central America, Mexico, North America, you know, South America, uh, even Spain, and you know, they they just dropped it and, and decided to go heavy in Canada, and Brett got, became the world champion, which another great worker. Yeah, unbelievable. So they never actually said, "Hey, if we go down and you know, we start doing this, we're probably going to give you the strap." Nothing like that. They... No, they, they, they never. They never. It, I had just been in the business for so long that I knew, you know, I, I was beating everybody. You know, they were prepping me. I, I knew they were prepping me for something. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it stopped. Then all of a sudden, I'm getting beat by different guys, and I realized, well. Things have changed. Yeah. Yep. So is the wrestling business. Definitely changes. <laughs> yep. So as we start to wind it down and go towards the finish line, just got to ask, because I'm just such a, obviously, huge fan of yours, and you had so many great matches. Morocco, Valentine, Macho Man. Uh, I mean, my God, Iron Sheik, I even remember um, you pulling a good match out of him. It's just so many different good matches you were part of. Do you have some favorites that kind of stick out above others? Well, I used to love to, to well, of course, you know, me and, Greg Valentine had the longest feud in the history of the WWE, WWF, which will never be broken because we wrestled each other pretty much nightly uh, for about a year and a half, you know, and the the fans just couldn't get enough. We'd go in there and we'd just beat the living hell out of each other and, and, and the fans, you know, bought what we were doing, you know. Uh, they they filmed the surgery supposedly when he messed up my knee and Mm-hmm. They, they saw the they saw the the surgery and you know they couldn't wait for me and him to lock horns again and the interviews you know uh, fulfilled the story that we were building and you know he he was one of my favorites but you know other than him uh, it, I would have loved to have uh, done a, something with uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff was another great heel uh, you know uh, Mr. Perfect was a fantastic heel. Uh, you know, I put those guys, you know, better better heels than, than Macho Man, you know, although Macho Man became very, very popular. Uh, I think uh, what helped Macho Man a lot was uh, was Ms. Elizabeth. I mean, she got over like a million dollars. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like with uh, you, going back to you and Greg, man, those are some hellacious battles. You didn't mind how stiff he was out there? I mean, he was, he is, you know, a tough, Tough SOB, very, very stiff guy. Well, we used to beat the crap out of each other, you know. Yeah, he, yeah. I, I I could dish it out myself, and, and he didn't mind. You know, he was just like a bull. He, if, if you didn't fight back, he'd just keep coming, and he would eat you up. So he loved that I that I fought back, you know. Uh, he, he loved working with me also. I used to get home, and I used to tell my wife, uh, man, I've had easier street fights than, than <laughs> wrestling Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, that was the truth. Tough, tough guy. What about a guy like Shawn Michaels? Obviously not stiff at all, a good worker, but what, what do you think about your message with Shawn? Well, I, I wish I would have had more. You know, uh, Shawn Michaels became, you know, one of the best. I, I put him in the same category as Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect and, you know, uh, you know, he was a small guy, but, he, you know, he carried it, you know, he carried his weight pretty good. I mean, uh, I mean, how, how much more successful 
can a guy be? You know, he was a great, great worker. Was he as much of a troublemaker behind the scenes in the, towards the end of your run as a, you know, as they always say he is? Well, uh, I don't think Shawn Michaels, you know, was liked by a, a lot of wrestlers. Uh, he had a lot of heat, and you know the way he, him and uh, Marty Jannetty broke up. Uh, I don't think a lot of people respected him for that. Uh, you know, but you know. There was a lot of Shawn Michaels, you know. There was a lot of guys that that uh, that uh, marched to their own. Uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to say? To their own music, you know. Uh, yep. He, the beat of their own drum. Mike, yeah, Michael was Shawn Michaels, you know. That, that was his character, and just the way he was in the, in the match. You know, that, that was real life, you know. He, he I guess, just like Ric Flair lived. Uh, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels uh, lived. Shawn Michaels. Uh, uh, Hulk Hogan lived Hulk Hogan, and and look at Macho Man. Macho Man was Macho Man 24 hours a day. You know, uh, I guess that's you know one of the reasons that he became such a great, uh, uh, I, I guess, personality in in our business. You know, you you can just go down the line. You know, one one guy was over as much as as the next guy. That was like we say the golden age, and you do obviously get into a whole hell of a lot of that in the book. Now, please just give us one last kind of sell on the book. One last reason why all the, I know obviously thousands of people pre-order already, but give us, you know, and more people should be ordering the book. Well, you know, uh, I know that I have a lot of fans. Uh, I've had a lot of great feedback from, from the wrestling fans about this book. Uh, it's uh, my life story from, from the beginning uh, of a childhood uh, all the way probably to the present. And, you know, there's a lot of stories that uh, that I experienced on the road with the guys that I shared in this book. And, you know, pretty much uh, a lot of my life is, is just laid out right there in the book. And, you know, they can see, I guess, why I, Tito Santana, you know, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, you know, Tito, I, I've never heard anybody say any, any negative things about you. Uh, you know, if they read the book, you know, it, it's pretty much the way it is. You know, I, I, I treated people the way I wanted to be treated, and, and uh, I respected everybody, no matter who it was. Uh, uh, and I guess I, you know, I got the same respect uh, from from the wrestlers. You know, I, I never, never turned on anybody. I never uh, stabbed anybody in the back. I, I just let the work uh, do my talking. So, yeah. Get hurry up and you know if you want a phone call from Tito Santana, order your book before Christmas. Uh, I'm going to take it all the way to uh, the 24th. Uh, uh, I will be making a phone call to anybody who orders the book. Uh, it might not be the phone call might not be before Christmas, but you will get a phone call. The only bad thing I've ever heard about you was from King Kong Bundy. He said you were late for a bus at one time. At one time. I remember he said. <laughs> King Kong was funny. And, and for some reason, I forget where it was, but he remembered it like he was late for the bus. I'm like, wow, let, he let it go. Jeez, 30 years ago, let it go already. My God. <laughs> but he also, uh, he, I, I never knew this, but but he also uh, reminded me, he says, Tito, he says, you gave me some great advice one time that, that I'll never forget, uh, you know, so 
I don't even know if I mentioned that in the book, but, you know, I was the type of guy that, you know, I try to help everybody, whether he was a healer or a baby phase. If I could give him some advice where, where I could help him either deal with the, with the promoters or, or improve their matches or improve their, their uh, interviews, you know, I was willing to help because a lot of people helped me on the way up. Absolutely. And if we please implore you to go to WOHW.com and check it out and buy the book, Don't Call Me Chico, the Tito Santana autobiography. Tito, is there any other uh, plugs you want to give out, any other place that the fans maybe can reach you or maybe go somewhere else to buy the book? Uh, no, right now it's, it's just uh, uh, go, go to uh, titosantana.com. Uh, uh, if they can... Uh, once this this is over, uh, they could uh, order a, a book directly from me, but it's uh, it's going to be uh, thirty dollars signed or forty dollars. Uh, uh, I mean, forty dollars signed or thirty dollars not signed, uh, and and plus shipping. So it's probably going to turn out to be maybe around forty five dollars uh, after this uh, uh, promotion uh, pre order promotion is over with. So, so hurry up and get them. You know, uh, the pre-order promotion is, is a pretty good deal, and it comes along with, with with a phone call. All right, awesome. Thank you so much, Mr. Santana. I really appreciate it. We'll see you down the road, my friend. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.